I'm going to ask for your undivided attention for the next few minutes. I really have something on my heart. This is a pastoral message. And uh, there's some things I need to say directly to our fellowship today. So please give me your undivided attention. And I'm hoping you'll all stay with us through, till the end of the service. Generally speaking, the Jews of Jesus' day had a very dim view of women. Jewish women in the time of Jesus were not allowed to get an education. They were only good in the eyes of men for making babies and keeping house. They were largely excluded from the worship of God. In fact, the setup of, um, of, of Herod's temple, on the outside of the temple was the court of the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were restricted to that area. Then five steps above the court of the Gentiles was the court of the women. Women could only worship God in that designated area. Then 15 steps above that was the court of the men, and then the, the court of the priests, and then the holy of holies, which was so wonderfully sung about today, and then the most holy place. But women were excluded from being inside the temple proper because they were regarded at that time as only a little higher than livestock. A woman had no voice in her marriage. Her father decided whom she would marry, when she would marry, and why she would marry. A woman could not divorce her husband under any condition. Only a man could initiate a, a divorce. In the Jewish writings called the Talmud, 100 men equaled, I'm sorry, 100 women equaled two men. Every day, Jewish males prayed a prayer of thanksgiving, and that prayer ended like this. Praise God that I'm not a Gentile. Praise God that I am not an ignorant person. And praise God that I am not a woman. Now, I can profoundly feel the attitude of every female in this house this morning. <laughs> Starting in the back of the balcony, it's wafting its way to the platform. It has a bit of that going on. And I just would like to say to every lady this morning in the house, aren't you glad that you've come a long way, baby? You've come a mighty long way. But the reality is, that was the fair of women before Christ. But then Jesus came and lifted womanhood, lifted cultural kinds of clutches and grasps that kept them out of the worship of God. Because uh, in those days, a woman could not even be seen talking publicly to a man. It was a disgrace for a woman to be caught in public with her head uncovered. If she was speaking publicly to a man, something had to be wrong with her. It either meant she was possibly a woman of the streets or a prostitute or was looked upon as some shaded kind of woman. She could not be seen publicly speaking to a man without it being, being shameful. But then Jesus came, and he spent some time with some esteemed friends of his, Martha, Mary, and their brother Lazarus. Is anybody glad that Jesus came? 
Every time Jesus was in their region, he turned in to their house. Martha was perhaps the owner because her name always appears first in any listing of, of uh, the, the three names. It appears that perhaps her brother and sister, Mary and Lazarus, lived with her. It would also appear that Martha was the oldest of the three by cultural implications in Scripture. So Jesus goes to their house where Martha is a type A personality. I think it's possible we might have a couple of those in the house today. I see some nudging going on. Martha, being the oldest, she runs everything. That's the way older siblings are. Can I get a witness here this morning? They run everything. They tell everybody what to do. They're bossy. They're in charge, and they tend to make that very clear, let everybody know that they're in charge. And here's Martha running it all again with Jesus at her house. But what's happened is this, as you've read, Mary has broken two social, cultural, and spiritual taboos because in every public place, even in homes in, during the day of Jesus, there was what was called the space for the men. It was a space that only uh, men could enter. And Mary has crossed the line spiritually, culturally, and socially because she's in a space that belongs only to men. And the other thing she's doing, she is in a posture that belongs to a disciple. She is seated at the feet of Jesus. Implications are that she's sitting cross-legged like the disciples in Jesus' face at his feet in a space reserved only for men. So what we see is big sister Martha sees what's going on, and she's now had enough. She's taken about as long as, as she can. She's in the kitchen preparing a meal, and, and, in those, and in that day and time, men don't even enter the kitchen in the day of Jesus. Pretty much the same thing at our house today. <laughs> so Martha's in the kitchen. But Mary is in the space reserved for men. Martha sees it out of the corner of her eye, and she keeps preparing stuff in the kitchen. She's mixing stuff and putting stuff together. Pretty soon, Martha's temper starts to rise, and she's getting a little noisier now. She's slinging pots, and she's slamming cabinets. Hello. She's trying to get at Mary, who's... Who's, uh, who is in a space reserved for men, seated at the feet of Jesus. She's throwing the dish towel down. By now, Mary ought to have, a, have sense enough to get up from there and come into the kitchen to help me. And surely, Jesus ought to know that Mary needs to get up from there and come into the space for women rather than being in the space for men. We almost get the sense by now that Martha's fuming. We can see smoke coming from her nostrils, outer ears, throwing the dish towel, going into the, she goes into the space for men, invades their man cave and says, Lord, you see that gal sitting over there? Tell her to get up and come and help me. 
Now this story is usually interpreted as an example of the tension, listen, that exists between those who are given to outward service over and against those who are given to inward worship. There is this strain, there is this tension, it seems, between outward service and inward worship. That is usually how this passage is preached. That Martha is one personality and Mary is another personality and there's tension between the two. Martha is the one who outwardly serves while Mary is the one who inwardly worships. And while that tension seems to be present between the two of them, I'm here this morning to suggest to you that there is no tension between outward service and inward worship, but rather that the two of them work in tandem. One properly follows the other. However, clearly, according to Scripture, Martha is the one who gets the order wrong. She gets it out of order. So, with all the implications that are in the passage you read today, we tend to look at Mary as being the one who is lazy, and she's sitting with the men, and get up from there and go help your sisters, typically what's in our heart and mind as we read. That's what she ought to be doing, but Jesus says, no, Martha, you ought to leave that and come meet Mary where she is. It's the other way around. The tension is not between the Mary mind and the Martha mind. The tension is not between outward service and inward worship, but rather it follows in tandem that one precedes the other. What I'm trying to communicate to you this morning is this. Before you can outwardly serve, you need to first inwardly worship. I'll try it again. Before you can outwardly serve, you need to first inwardly worship. Far too many of us are trying to serve before we worship. We're trying to put our hands on it, but we've not yet put our heart into it. Let me expose this a little bit for us today from Scripture. Here's some examples what can happen when you put your hands on it before you put your heart in it. They were on their way back to Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. First of all, they were carrying the cart the wrong way. They were bringing it to the city in a way that God had not instructed them to do it. God had said, put some brass poles between uh, those brass rings that are on the side and carry it on your shoulder as a burden but they put it on an ox cart to relieve themselves of the burden. There's a, there's a message right here for us. Sometimes the burden has to be carried, church. I said sometimes the burden has to be carried. We love to get out of it. We love to be relieved of the burden. We will do anything we have to to be relieved of the burden, but sometimes it is God's full intention for us to carry the burden. And you know what happened. On the way, the oxen stumbled. The cart almost fell. Uzzah reached to put his hand on it, and what happened? God killed him on the spot. Because if you're not going to put your heart in it, don't you dare put your hands on it. Selah. And don't you ever fail to recognize that which is holy in the sight of God, no matter how familiar you become with it. Amen. 
far too many of us are hands-on but heart-off. Something else from Scripture. Here's the way Jesus put it. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Jesus also said if you put your hands to the plow and look back, which is another way of saying don't have your heart in it, you are not fit for the kingdom of God. This is another way of saying until you worship, you are not fit for service. Until you worship, you are not fit for service. God really only wants your service if you are one who loves to be in his presence, who loves to hear his word, who loves sitting at the feet of Jesus. Can I get an amen from the house today? As a pastor, there are some things that truthfully really make me nervous. I get a little nervous when I see a preacher who can't say amen when another preacher's preaching. I get a little nervous about folks who don't come to church until it's your Sunday to usher, or it's your Sunday to greet, or it's your Sunday to sing on the worship team. That's the only time we've seen you. Can I just tell you what that is? That's outward service with no inner worship. That's what that is. Ooh, it's getting frosty in here today. How many believe I'm telling you the truth? Somebody say amen. Amen. That kind of attitude, that kind of approach to what you're doing in the house of God is very much like this motivational preaching that is so prevalent today that I, I see a lot of. It's pragmatic and it may be helpful socially, uh, but it is, it is self-serving at best, if not completely humanistic. It magnifies, it glorifies, it edifies the self, but I want to remind you and the people in this house to know when the preaching is real, Christ is at the center of it all. Lord, tell Mary to get up and get out of there. She needs to get out of that men's space and she needs to get back in here in this kitchen and help me. Jesus said, Martha, calm, cool down, calm yourself. You're getting all bent out of shape about forks in the right place and the knives in the, turn the right way in the right place. The problem with Martha was she was concerned with the ancillary and the incidental. She was majoring on minors, if you will. And Jesus said, Martha, you're getting all flustered about a glass and a fork and a spoon and a napkin, but your sister Mary has chosen the good part. Mary has chosen what she should have chosen, and I will not take it from her. Now, before I finish today, that does not mean I'm almost done. Let's talk about what this really means. All that was the introduction. Because what question should I really be trying to answer today? If I bring up this topic, what does it mean to sit at the feet of Jesus? What does that look like? I even went so far in my thoughts on this. And so how, what is, how does that look different in 2022 than it did when I was much younger? What's it look like today? To sit, is it any different? Should it be any different? What does it mean really to sit at the feet of Jesus? That phrase so riveted my heart when that songwriter, I'll tell you who it is, it was Shannon Wexelberg. Some of you know Shannon. Brilliant, brilliant songwriter, wonderful gal. She's been here. She said, 
I would rush back, whatever it took to sit at the feet of Jesus. So what does it mean? Well, here's the first thing. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, I believe, is about submission. Lord, I'm waiting to hear whatever you have to say. I'll sit here as long as it takes, as long as you'll speak to me. I'm here to listen to you. Even if I don't like how it sounds, I need to hear it because it's coming from your mouth. That's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Even if I'm not going to do it, I need to know what it is that I'm not going to (laughs) do. Even if I know it's right and you have to work on me and you have to temper me and you have to cut some things away from me and take some things off of me or take some things away from me. I know I need to get away to go into that kitchen, but it's more important that I stay right here right now because I have to submit myself to your word. For if I trust in the Lord with all of my heart, and if I lean not to my own understanding, if in all my ways I acknowledge you, you've promised, God, you've promised that you will direct my path. And I know that the Bible says this, that blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners. That's not the path I want to be on, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall Sitting at the feet of Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus is submitting yourself to his teaching and submitting yourself to the word of God. You know, folks, before you can really do whatever it is that God has called you to do or whatever it is that God wants you to do, you really have to settle deep within your soul the fact that the Bible is the infallible, authoritative word of God. Now, you may be sitting there and say, well, why would you bring that up? Aren't we in church? We're Christians. We know that. You would be shocked to find out how that is being challenged in 2022. You would be shocked to know the numbers of people who believe that the word of God is a suggestion, is maybe a nice idea full of nice tales. No, the word of God to a believer and a follower of Christ has authority to tell you what to do and to tell you what not to do. It has the power and authority to do that. And about a third of you believe me. I'm telling you the truth. If you're going to do what God has called you to do, If you're going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to settle deep within you. Not hold back little reserved parts or places. But you have to settle that the Bible is the infallible, authoritative word of God. And that your worldview has to come from the Bible and cannot come from the world. Your worldview... The way you look at the world, if you are a Christian, if you come under the headship and the lordship of Jesus Christ, if you've submitted yourself to God, your worldview has to come from the word of God. Somebody say amen this morning. Becky and I sat at a pastor's conference last week in Phoenix where we 
heard the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, wonderful man, Doug Clay, make this statement to the small group of pastors that were there. He said, you know what, folks? You know what, pastors? All of us sitting there were pastors or pastors' wives in the room. He said, far too many people leave a church because it doesn't match their politics. But when's the last time you heard of someone who left their politics because it didn't match their spiritual belief or didn't line up with the Word of God? When's the last time you heard that? We have watched far too many people, certainly in recent months, put their politics ahead of their Christianity and got it all confused, to be honest. Let me just tell you, that is not sitting at the feet of Jesus, nor is it being submitted to his word and to his lordship. The Apostle Paul put it this way, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed. What? Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As a pastor, I carry certain burdens, lots of them actually. One of them is this. I pray, and I I am speaking so transparently and vulnerably to you today, I pray that my generation does at least as good a job handing down to our next generation as our parents did to us the respect and honor and obedience that is due to the holy and infallible word of God. I rewrote that paragraph about six times. My first version was the most unfiltered way of saying it. I wish I still had it this morning because it reflected more the intensity of my heart and what I feel. I wonder how good a job my generation is doing passing down the importance of the infallible word of God to the next generation. Can I just remind you, it is still sharper than any two-edged sword. It is still a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I say that and also can say in the same breath, I'm not a legalist. I'm really not. I despise the very spirit of legalism, whereby I get to design the rules and you have to obey them. That's pretty much a short term of of legalism. I have to be sure I'm going to be the rule keeper and I'm watching to make sure that every time you break them that I, I make an issue of it. I'm not a legalist, but I also honor the sovereignty of God whereby he does get to design the rules for me which absolutely do not have to apply to him and he owes me no explanation. Am I telling you the truth? As a Christian, I come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ since he is the word. It is therefore Jesus who tells me what my views are about lying and cheating and stealing in the workplace. It is Jesus who tells me what my views are on loving my enemy and praying for those who spitefully use me and blessing those who curse me. I don't do that on my own. I submit myself to his rule and authority and his lordship, and I do so through the infallible word of the living God. If you're going to sit at the feet of Jesus, you have to be submissive to his word. Let the church say amen. That was number one. Number two, I only have about 10, so we're good. What time's the game? 
Sitting at the feet of Jesus is not only about submission. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is about sacrifice. There are some things when you're going to sit at his feet that you simply have to give up. You simply have to give it up if you're sitting in his presence at the feet of Jesus. There are times that you have to deny yourself. That means the things that your flesh craves and desires, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. And you have to follow Christ daily when it's convenient, when it's decidedly inconvenient, when you feel like it, when you don't feel like it, when things are going well for you, when the bottom has fallen out for you, when you have money in your pocket, and when you're not sure how the bills are going to be paid this month, when everyone's with you and, or when everyone's against you. In the good times, in the bad times, in the sunshine and in the rain, you have to submit and sacrifice if you're going to sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, the truth goes like this. Most people want to be in the kitchen with Martha. That's usually preferred because in the kitchen, you don't have to hear anything. In the kitchen, you don't have to listen. And then if you don't hear it, you don't have to take responsibility for it. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sacrifice, what does that mean? What, what, why is that important? I've been a church musician most all of my life. My musical gift always made a place for me in the church where my dad pastored, and I was very blessed in that regard. I was 12 years of age when I began conducting church choirs. As a young teenager, I learned something very quickly about a trap that is strategically laid for church musicians. I hope our musicians are listening to me. Your musical gift is also capable of creating a very convenient way of escape from true worship. Simply because you're taking on the role of Martha and you are busying yourself with the musical stuff, the mechanics, if you will, of worship music and the church service. I know what I'm talking about. It can literally rob you of the experience of sitting at the feet of Jesus. That doesn't mean we're not thankful for your gift. Doesn't mean that God hasn't used you. It just means that well, all I can do is give you my testimony. There were many Sunday night services. I should have been the one at the altar, not the one sitting at the piano. But the piano made a way of escape for me. And I should have been the one humbling myself before the Lord. That's my experience. It may not be yours. For me, sitting at the feet of Jesus should have required me to sacrifice my musical opportunity of that moment. There should have been a sacrifice if I was going to sit at the feet of Jesus. I've been told straight out by a person or two that they attend such and such a church because it's a great place to network. Now, while that may not necessarily disparage that church, I would still say to that person, when you sit at the feet of Jesus, dear one, you've got your own network. He will set you up upon a rock with your enemies all around you. You know what? He'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He will anoint your head with oil so that when everyone else is getting laid off and things are going bad for them, your cup is running over. 
When you sit at the feet of Jesus and decidedly walk in obedience to him, no matter the cost, you'll understand that you need to sacrifice your network for his network. And then you'll be the one walking around declaring, surely goodness and mercy is following me all the days of my life. When you sit at the feet of Jesus, your sensitivity for gratitude, the the gratitude meter in you goes way up. You become much more grateful when you sit at his feet. When you sit at the feet of Jesus, you'll have to learn the difference between bragging and testifying. You won't take things for granted anymore when you sit at the feet of Jesus because you're just so thankful for what God's done in your life. You're just so thankful that he's allowed you to sit at his feet. You're so thankful to be in his presence. Everything, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You won't take things for granted. You won't assume that anything that you have now is because you got lucky. You will walk around when you sit at his feet with a heightened sense of sensitivity that it's the Lord and only the Lord who is directing your steps and making a way for you. It's all the Lord. You'll truly learn what a sacrifice of praise is when you sit at his feet. You'll start being grateful that he woke you up this morning for simple things. Some of you literally got a job this week and your gratitude will go sky high because you've been in in his presence. So when you start talking about that, let me just help you understand this. You're not bragging, you're testifying. You have clothes on your back this morning? My God, I hope so. Do you have a car to drive? Did you drive a car here today? Do you have food in your pantry? When you talk about it, you're not bragging, you're testifying, church. Do you have air in your lungs? Do you have a heart beating in your chest? Do you have a great church and a loving pastor? Yes, you do. When you talk about it, you're not bragging, you're testifying. Has he made a way for you where there didn't seem to be a way? Has he opened doors that were slammed shut to you? Has he made your enemies your footstool? When you talk about it, you're not bragging, you're? When you sit at the feet of Jesus, his goodness and mercy to you will flood your heart, causing your level of gratitude to God to go higher than it's ever been because you and I both know that the blessing on your life is only because of Jesus. It was nobody but Jesus who has blessed you. Somebody shout hallelujah in this house. Come on, shout hallelujah in this house. One last thing. One last of many things. (laughs) Sitting at the feet of Jesus is about submission. It's about sacrifice. But then it is also about service. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is also about service, just in the right order. I'm going to work while it is day. Because the night is coming when no man can work. But I'm ready to serve God now because I have submitted myself to his lordship. I have made some sacrifices which have brought me to where I am right now. God has worked on me over and over in my heart, 
in my mind, dealing with all kinds of stuff that had to be dealt with. Thank God he's been merciful to me. So let me say something about service in the kingdom of God. Now's when I take the filter off. First of all, every one of us should be involved in some form of service in the kingdom. I am always amazed at those who think they've been exempted or they think they have some viable excuse. You bring your excuse to me and whatever it is, I'm too old, I'm too tired, I'm too sick, I'm too whatever you've got, I will show you probably 10 examples of people who totally defy that excuse in this church. When you join Bethesda Church, you are told that there are three things that we ask of you as a member. We ask you to worship regularly with us in the house of God. And I know that's been an issue through COVID. I'm glad we had the ability to live stream when it was much more restrictive and a difficult situation. But God is bringing us through that, folks. I said God is bringing us through that. And I'm gonna respect your situation up to a point, I will. But you need to be in the house of God. Some of you need to get that jogging suit on, off. Put that cup of coffee away. Get up off that couch and get to the house of God. Let us not forsake the gathering of the people of God as has become the habit of many. And even the more so as you see the day approaching. I'm thankful for live streaming to the degree it helps those who truly are restricted, but some have gotten downright lazy. In Jesus' name. We ask you to worship regularly with us in the house of God. You need the church. You need to be in the house of God. You need to be around people of faith. You need to be in the place of corporate worship. We ask you to worship with us. We ask you to find some place of connection with others in this fellowship. We have connection groups of every size and shape. You go to bccevent.com and you'll find something called Connect and then you'll find, oh, well, that's, is that it? Um, No, BCC, is is that the right one, Brent? bccevent.com, Connect, and then you go to Groups. That's what that circle is up there. We have groups of every kind. What is this about? This is about getting connected with other believers. We don't live Christianity in a bubble, in isolation. We don't. You may want to do that, but you know how this goes. The enemy is trying to isolate you. He'll get you off here to the side, and then he has full sway with you. You need to be with the people of God in the house of God. You need to connect with others. You need other people to pray with you and pray for you. Some people are involved in smaller prayer groups in this house. Some are involved in Bible studies, either on Sunday morning or throughout the week. We have groups that just like to eat. I mean, let's just be honest. Can you settle Tim down, please? We do. There's a couple of restaurants in Tarrant County that ought to be sending me a thank you card every week. Used to be Luby's right over here till it shut down a few days ago. Broke my heart. And then there's Taco Tuesday at Rose's. Anybody? Somebody tell that manager to send me a thank you card. There are so many ways for you to connect in this house. And if you can't find a place on that website, then you contact any pastor. And trust me, we'll be more than happy to help you. Don't you dare walk around here and say, well, nobody talked to me. 
I couldn't get acquainted with nobody. It's because you didn't try, baby. There's plenty of ways for you to connect. And if you can't do it, let us help you. We want to do that, help you connect. You need to be connected to, to other believers. We ask you to worship regularly with us in the house of God. We ask you to find some place of connection with others in this fellowship. But thirdly, we ask you to find a place of service. In a place like Bethesda, it's easy to assume that everybody else is taking care of all the service components needed for this place to operate. But you want to know the truth? We're just going to shoot straight here this morning. We need more volunteers in this house. We need lots more volunteers. There's hardly a week that goes by that one or more of our staff members, pastors, staff members, department heads, hardly a week that one of them doesn't remind me of the need for more of our fellowship to be engaged in service. Pastor, we were not able to be able to do that. Our volunteer base is, is, is getting smaller. It's not getting larger. We've got to let people understand how important it is. Here, here it is. In order for us to do what we believe God has called us to do and to this community, click that off, please. I'm talking to my wife. It's my phone. I have Bluetooth and it's ringing in my hearing aids. You want to see him right here? When you've blown your ears for 40 years in the studio, you're going to need hearing aids too. <clears throat> I've had this fear for the last few months that that phone's going to go off in the middle of a message and it's going to ring. I'm just glad I didn't jump and scream when it went off just now. We need more people in service in this house. Now there's another, we have a video. There we go. That's BethesdaCommunityChurch.com. See that serve button right there at the top? You click on that. It takes you to a thing we have called Rotate. There's categories over there. There's all kinds of, it tells you all the opportunities. Well, allow this one requires this, this one requires that. You can find out, you can click on all those and find what works for you. I do not know who exempted you. I'm sure I don't know what your excuse is, but I'm just telling you, we need you. We need every one of you to step up your game and begin to shoulder more of the load of ministry in this house. I often, as your pastor, sit and dream what Bethesda could really be if everyone would put their hand to the plow. Everyone. I'm talking to everyone. There's no telling what God could do with this amazing fellowship on this side of Fort Worth if, if, if we all stepped up and said, here am I, send me. What needs to be done in this house? Whatever it is. I've sat at the feet of Jesus to worship him. I've sacrificed to take up my cross and follow him. It's time for me to put my hand to the plow. Hear me for just a couple of more minutes and then I'm going to be done, hopefully. Some of us serve God because of what he's done in our lives. No one's necessarily saying that's a bad thing. It may be because of what God has blessed you with. It may be because of what you have in your account. It may be because of what you're driving or where you live or who you know or what you own or, or because of his blessing in whatever way he has blessed you in your life, whatever that you serve God because of. But I'm asking you this morning to take it to a new level, a new level. I'm asking you to move this morning from because of to in spite of. In spite of the fact that my car was broken into last week, I'm still going to serve the Lord. In spite of the fact that I still have to take medication for this tumor, I'm still going to raise my hands in the sanctuary. Someone here needs to say, in spite of the fact that my child is still on drugs, I'm going to serve God anyway. That doesn't have to stop me. 
in spite of the fact that I do not know how my job situation is going to turn out, I'm going to shout hallelujah in the presence of God's people. Because God is good in spite of what's going on in my life. If you're waiting for all things to get perfect, you're going to be waiting. And if you can't thank God for anything else this morning, if you can't find anything else, let me help you. You can thank him for your salvation today. You ought to thank him that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life this morning. You can thank him that you have a reservation in heaven that's waiting for you. Maybe there's someone here this morning who has a little bit of in spite of praise brewing in your soul. Let me help you by giving you the words of the Apostle Paul. Why don't you stand with me as I give it to you? He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted? Yeah, but we're not forsaken. Struck down? Mm Mm-hmm, but not destroyed. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to worship him in spite of what's happening all around me. Put your hands together and bless the name of the Lord God Almighty in this house. Come on, bless his name. Sing. Sing.